and welcome to another episode of Talking Tropes. I'm Hannah. And I'm David. Now, Hannah, we've been, we've been doing this podcast for a while. Uh, what, what happens if we stop? No, David, we can't stop. We'll all freeze and die. We can't stop the podcast. <laughs> we'll all freeze and die. Um, that's right. We're talking about Snowpiercer because the Snoo the Snowpiercer show is coming out. Snowpiercer sure. The Snowpiercer sure is coming out uh, this week, um, and yeah. to celebrate it, we're going to be talking about you know the. Chris Evans starring original version based on the French <laughs> comic book. Yeah, Bong uh, Joon-ho. Get it all. Um, but more than that, we're, we're talking about the, the tropes that are represented in Snowpiercer. This idea of a society as a mobile, perpetually moving structure. Yeah. Um, and we've got a couple key examples of that. Uh, we want to talk about Mortal Engines... Uh, we want to talk about, you know, Exodus space travel shows like Battlestar Galactica, um, maybe like WALL-E. I, I, I don't yeah. know. We'll, we'll see what we get into. It, it'll be fun. This is this has truly been a really interesting trope um, to watch and research, I think, because, um, you know, there there's a lot of uh, give and take with this trope, I think. Um, it's not give just... Give and take. Who's giving, who's taking? <laughs> well... I mean, it's it's not just one thing. It's um, it 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 encompasses a lot of like smaller tropes. I think you know, like it it's the sort of thing um, where you know, if you look at TV tropes, it's got elements of base on wheels, of planet spaceship, cool train. Um, you know, like it's it's not just it, its own thing, and I like that because I feel like we've stumbled onto something, David. I feel like we are right. The... I think I think we're you know, we, we it's kind of a half formed idea right now. Yeah. But I think you know maybe we could be uh, breaking some new ground here. Um, I think what makes what made me attracted to this is when I saw the trailer for Mortal Engines, and I thought, wow, like everyone's gonna hate this. <laughs> like this is such a dumb idea, but it's like. Is it dumb? Is it dumber than, you know, a perpetually moving train that represents capitalism and hierarchy and globalism and, uh, <laughs> all I don't know, all the things that Snowpiercer stands for? Right. Like, but, you know, that one gets, like, tons of praise, whereas Mortal Engines is universally panned. <laughs> and I guess I wanted to kind of explore that and how, like, metaphor and sci-fi kind of intersect yeah um i mean like that's that's always the um the power of sci-fi i feel like and fantasy is that it's it's able to explore these um sort of real world topics in fantastical push to the limits uh ways you know like i, I think that's right. exactly what snowpiercer is um should we do a quick summary for people who don't already know, or just assume? Right. Yeah. Let's let's do it. Snowpiercer, directed by Bong Joon Ho, uh, is about trains. <laughs> yeah, that's what it's about. Just trains. Um, no, it's so it's about uh, the world ends because of global climate change. Um, it, it freezes. 
And right. Well, we we try to fix global warming by shooting, you know, Jimmy Neutron <laughs> sunblock into the sun. <laughs> yeah. And then it freezes the world just like in Jimmy Neutron. Oh shit! Is that a Jimmy Neutron episode? Yeah, man. Oh my god. You know, that's the one where they try and hunt caribou in the new <laughs> ice age. Oh but instead God. of hunting caribou, uh, they they all get on a train designed by a crazy Elon Musk-style capitalist yeah. um, who built this crazy self-sustaining train that has, uh, you know, a self-sustaining engine and circles the entire globe over the course of a year. Yeah. Um, and, and basically... Uh, because of the sudden nature of the catastrophe, there were people who had paid to get on the train, um, and there were people who just sort of, like, clambered on into the, uh, the, like, back engine area, not engine area, but just the back of the train. The caboose. The caboose. Um, and so thus our stratified, uh, society is born. Um, you've got the people in the back who are subject to the whims and powers of the head of the car. And basically, Snowpiercer, the movie, is um, re watching a revolution take place um, and the eventual destruction of the train itself uh, to, right. to try to find a better so way. Um, because basically, we find out that the train runs on, like, children of the working class <laughs> right not in a literal sense but i think it's the there's but an like, interesting idea about kind of um, in a literal sense right well it's not that it like the it's not like they f they fuel it with children or whatever and right. like you know it's just it's not like they're just throwing babies in a fire literally yeah i think there's something more uh more affecting about the way that they present children being integrated into the machinery of the uh, of the train, as yeah. parts go extinct, as they call them, they replace the functional parts of the uh, of the train. You know, whatever mechanism turns a crank or moves a knob, with little people who can fit in small places on the train. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think there's something to to that. It's not just representing like, the realities of child labor as they existed in early, industri you know, industrial revolution uh, factories and such, that, you know, their tiny hands right. would often get cut off trying to, you know, operate machinery that was too small for adults to use. Mm -hmm. But it's also, like, human beings are just becoming machines, but not in, like, the cyborg-y cool way. <laughs> Right, They're like you are a cog becoming just functional in the machine uh, objects. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's both literal and metaphorical, and I think that's like a big strength of Snowpiercer um, and its class critiques for sure. Um, but it, it it is also just a train that has like absurd things on it, you know. In, right, <laughs> and the absurdity is kind of the fun. Is that it's it's just a straight. It's you know I saw an article that described it as like Titanic, but like in a straight line. <laughs> uh, you know, there's the you know there's the upstairs downstairs dynamic, but it's front train back train. Right, and so in between you've got what a, an aquarium, an opium den, a garden, uh, a spa. Uh, a but also salon, like a school, right? But also, there's like 
a place where you cook food for the lower class, and it's cockroaches. Yep, it's mashed uh, up bugs. Right. Um, I think, you know, the idea that it's, like, moving is so interesting to me. Like, would it have to move? Could you just have an engine that, you know, instead of, like, moving you around the Earth, it just sort of heats the thing? You know, would that be the same? Mm. And you just call it Snow Melter or something <laughs> instead of Snow Piercer. Right. Like, why does it have to move? Yeah, I I mean, I think it's... It's, um, again, I think, at least for this, it's metaphorical. Um, it's, it's the idea that, uh, you know, capitalism is in constant motion and that to stop it, we basically have to throw the train off the tracks. Um, it, it both can't stop and won't stop. Right, exactly. Right, but it's not like they're, like, going around and they're picking up more, uh, you know more resources by traveling which is is how they you know justify the movement in mortal engines right uh it's it's really just like they're moving because there's a forward momentum that must be maintained right. for really no reason right i mean i guess like you're ramming into ice sheets which refills your water but like i feel like you could do that in other ways right it rains presumably well, I mean, maybe not enough for the whole population, That's true. but I That's mean, true. there's ice everywhere. <laughs> I mean, you can get what you need. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely um, interesting, and and it's interesting too because they sort of um, they talk about past rebellions that have failed on the train of people trying to escape it, um, right. and you know, there's like seven people who are frozen on a hillside that they pass every year and they're like oh yeah they're the bad frozen seven or whatever um right and you know they're taught to revile them they were so silly for trying to stop the train um and yet in the end everyone dies <laughs> well the, i think that, that this is the interesting thing to me in terms of like how it might be a different take on, uh, you know, on Marx or, or on the idea of revolution, which is that the, the train is a necessary evil to some extent. It's mm -hmm. like for the 12 years or, you know, uh, fo following the, the, uh, the disaster, like it really is too cold mm -hmm. to function. But by the time you get to 17 years or, or sorry, 18 years, uh, that's when suddenly it's it's not that cold anymore. It's it's warm enough right. that human beings can survive as long as they, you know, band together and wear warm coats. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, it's interesting because a lot of these uh, stories they deal with this sort of resource management issue. Um, you know, like, that's, like, like you said, sort of the big thing behind, um, mortal engines justifications for these giant mobile cities and such. Right. Um, but then, you know, in Battlestar Galactica, one, they're, like, running from, uh, you know, a genocidal robot threat. Um, but in addition to that, a lot of that show is just about them, like, struggling to find 
like, more fuel or water or food to, like, maintain Mm. their population as they run from this existential threat. Right. I mean, Battlestar Galactica is, like, explicitly a story of exodus. It's a story of diaspora, but, you know, it's, it's a group of people, a tribe fleeing persecution in the way that you would see in any Exodus story. Right. Um, And so the resources there are kind of just incidental threats. It's not that resources were the reason that they had to pick up and go, like in WALL-E or, um, I mean, uh, any of these other stories about resource... uh, What is it? Management, conservation, <laughs> need. Right, conservation. These the sort of ecological disaster movies. Right. Um, and, and I would say, like, uh, um, the Doctor Who episode, uh, The Beast Below, that, that talks about this. Um, or, well, it doesn't talk about it, but is a giant floating space station that we later find out is on the back of a whale. Um, you know, like, their reason <laughs> for leaving... Earth in the first place is like these solar flares. Like it's interesting to me that um, you rarely find a a story that has these giant hulking contraptions created just like for the hell of it. It's always because of some like strange disaster that's like. Well, there causes. is one. Um, there is one example where they build it just for the hell of it. Um, do you remember the episode of Invader Zim where? Uh, <laughs> Where, where Dib goes to Mars, and it turns out that Mars is actually a giant uh, spaceship. Oh my god, I don't, I don't remember enough of Inza- Invaders Zim to, to know that. Well, it's like, they go there and but there's I like a hologram it. from the dead Martian civilization, uh-huh. and they're like, we drove our species to extinction, turning our planet into a giant spaceship. It's like, why? Because it's cool. <laughs> I so love that's that. that's one example. So right. I mean there's definitely a factor to that in all of this is that all of these moving cities are definitely cool. They're very cool and very impractical. And I think that okay. that, that but that's that's the joy of it, you know, is how impractical it is and like that's that's the fun element of these fantasies that, you know, sometimes are critiquing deeper um and more terrible truths you know they they get right. to um indulge in what if we pushed the earth with a giant rocket you know right it's the patrick star syndrome what if we what if we take the city and push it somewhere well, else yeah it's <laughs> right it's exactly that um i think like the fun element is definitely present in Mortal Engines, uh, yeah. the Peter Jackson film adaptation of the of the <laughs> young adult series. Uh, this one it, was so interesting to watch because I yeah. I remember when it was coming out and I was like, ugh, I don't care about this at all. Um, and you sometimes care about why not both. Yeah, well, I had never read this one. It, it was an older one um, from like mm-hmm. two thousand one. Um, and it was, and was mainly big, I think in the UK more than the US. Really? Um, I'm baffled. Yeah. Like, like, I think it's all about London being a giant monster truck that eats smaller cities. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very much a UK production. Um, but I, 
yeah, I, I was totally uninterested. But watching it, I'm like, listen, if I was, like, 12 and I saw this, <laughs> I'd probably really like it. Like, it, it's passable, right. you know? I mean, I think it got... I think it got its fair shake, but it just didn't quite hold up to what, you know, what else was happening in, like, 2013. Like, they pretty big. Yeah. They are pretty big blockbusters going down. Or oh, was yeah. it 2013? When was it? 2017? I think so. It was somewhat recently. But, like, we have, we have bigger and better blockbusters with bigger and better IP. Right. But, like, what's cool about this is that Peter Jackson, I think, probably just took on the project... Maybe partly because of the social commentary, but mostly because of just how fun it is to design action scenes running through cities being oh, yeah. dismantled. Oh, just yeah. the scale of it is so Jacksonian. Oh yeah, uh, it's 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 truly cool. Like if there's a movie on this list that just like leans into rule of cool, it's for sure Mortal Engines. Right. I mean, the very first scene is just the entire city of London swallowing up a town, and then a girl is, like, running through it and dodging, like, giant chainsaws that are slicing <laughs> the city to bits. Because it's just designed to show, like, the digestion yeah. of, of the urban. Uh, yeah. And they even came up with their own term, which, this... as far as I can tell, wasn't used anywhere else. No, it's in the book. This. No, I mean, the book, oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. the book came up with this term. That I don't think was used anywhere before it, which is municipal Darwinism, which, yeah. I, I mean, I think that probably describes actual, you know, actual sociological phenomenon. I yeah. mean, I don't know if they call it the same thing, I'm not a sociologist, but, <laughs> like, how do you describe the way that the, the U.S. treats cities like Detroit when they fail and yeah. like, doesn't bail them out and then blames them for having to bail them out? And then, right. you know, I, I, it's a form of, like colonialism between cities which i guess doesn't really happen right like, like cities don't typically engines. conquer other cities but if you think of london as metonymous with the uk as a whole yeah and you think of these little like mining towns as sort of like colonies little settlements in in you know in the third world or yeah. you know the developing world whatever uh i i think you could see it as kind of you know, be that there is really in real life a kind of municipal Darwinism. Totally, absolutely. And I think um, even within the cities themselves, you know, we see the Cladis, uh, the, the stratified um, class structures that are in place within them. And, um, you know, like, you, you could, if we're going to widely adopt the term, you know, municipal Darwinism... Um, like, I think you could apply it to gentrification issues, you could apply it to which areas of a city get, um, you know, more support and sort of right. swallow that's... up other areas of the city. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the real problem, right, is that these cities are seen as, like, kind of monolithic. So right. there's no analysis of the diversity within the cities yeah which is what i was kind of hoping for but i guess i should have known that that's not what the yeah there's not enough know, time not david we need to have a love well, no, story but I'm just saying, and like, a they robot spend so much time like in between cities yeah like, this whole movie could basically take place on london or on the sort of uh you know satellite cities to london yeah um whatever they may be like 
it's it's a city. It's not like a building. It's big. There's yeah. plenty of areas that you can establish within them. You know, what if there's you know, different parts of town. I don't know any of the London No, I I totally agree. I I was actually surprised at how much time we spent not on moving giant cities and then, you know, there's also like airship towns and things that exist in this world and right you know like it's it's not just these giant like mad max pushed to the limit cities <laughs> right and also i mean there's obviously a lot of things that like really ruin the metaphors in this story <laughs> right but one of the major ones is uh the giant wall that is just sort of non-white people live on the other side of it um and the point of it is just to keep white people out of being able to settle down and forcing them into these traction cities yeah or something i have no idea what the you know what the wall is supposed to represent (laughs) it's very unclear and very strange um you know i think it's one of those just kind of like poorly thought out plot things but, right, they need to be destroying something, right. so let's make it this. But, I mean, the whole point is that, like, this is like a real, uh, you know, anti-immigration kind of wall. It's like a Trumpian sort yeah. of wall. I mean, the people in, was it Sun, what was the name of the place? The, oh, Shanguo. I don't know. It's like, Shanguo just sort of represents this ethnocentric uh uh you know isolationist power that i guess is like hoarding resources and keeping people out and so we have to tear down that wall but also it's bad to do so because that's colonialism yeah it's again (coughs) complicated mixed messages that are not particularly thought through you know because like i'm okay with having some like ideologically murky choices being uh, thrust onto protagonists. But, you know, it's not... The movie's not about those ideological choices. I think it's quite another thing when you have, like, okay, these... We're representing colonialism purely through white people capturing other white cities. Yeah. Even more specifically, like, British people capturing other British cities. Right. Um... Instead of, like, representing their actual colonialism of, you know... <laughs> Conquering like half of the world. other nations, non-white people, like, people of color. Like, right. this is not... This is a weird sort of construction. And then, on top of that, to have your finale be turning the city of London into a Death Star <laughs> that we need to bomb like it's the London Blitz is extremely awkward to me. Yeah, it's... I mean, again, it's it's the sort of thing where it's so kind of rule of cool, just like, what would be the craziest thing that could happen next, that, like, it just doesn't take time to think through any of its implications, you know? Like, right. like I don't but, think I mean, any the, of this the, is intentional. But, I mean, the finale is, like, exactly where I just sort of lost interest and was like, this is just dumb. Like... <laughs> They literally, like, the city just gets a giant super laser, and then they just become Death Star. And it's like, okay, we have to stop them because they're a Death Star. What do you have against super lasers? You hate them in Korra? You hate them here? (laughs) I don't... I don't like the the reduction of every uh, you know climax of every story to this trope that just keeps repeating itself of 
super weaponry in in the wrong hands is super weaponry in any hands so we have to you know blow up the weapon and that becomes the only thing it's not about stopping the evil doer it's not about challenging the status quo it's just about destroying the doomsday weapon right and it just it gets repetitive is all for sure for sure which is you know i i think this movie in so many ways is very YA, not only in just like its basic construction, but in the fact that it's relying on its viewers not having been bludgeoned to death with death lasers already. Right. Yeah. I hear you. (laughs) You know, Um, like I said, should we talk about our characters? Is are they relevant to the trope itself? That we have these characters of, like, Hester and Tom. No. <laughs> I mean, like, we can talk about them, but, like, you know, we don't need to talk about Snowpiercer characters to necessarily talk about why Snowpiercer um, is interesting, you know? And I, I think that I one... No, I think that the characters are super relevant to that, but uh, maybe okay. less so to mortal engines. Because uh, Hester mean... is basically just, like, a revenge... Scar girl. Yeah. With a scar, and uh, she discovers love, which means that she doesn't want to be a robot zombie. Yeah. And that's how she completes her arc, is by learning to love again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then there's the... Tom. Quirky love interest who, uh... I He's don't know. a historian who wanted to be a pilot. He's a nerd. his dreams. He's basically Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Except he's nobody's son. <laughs> Hester's the the person who has a father. <laughs> in Hugo Weaving. Oh, God. Hugo Weaving is, like, a fucking delight in this film. I don't know. I always find him to be kind of dull as the villains, even what? in The Matrix. Oh, I love like, Hugo Weaving as villain. Like, it's just his face. There's nothing in his performance that's, like, delightfully over the top or, you know, he's just, like... But his face is delightfully over the top. Like, what else is there? He just has one of those faces. Yeah, like, I don't know. And I also, I think his his performances are, like, they're not bad by any They're not bad. I wish they were worse. (laughs) Do you just want him to be Nicolas Cage? A little bit, yeah. Oh my god. They've got, they've got the same hairline. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, uh, do you want to return to, to Snowpiercer, or do you have more to say about Mortal Instruments? No, I think we can go back to Snowpiercer for now, and, and if more uh, Mortal Engines-relevant topics <laughs> arise, we can always touch on them. Right. Um, okay, so I, I feel like we haven't really... Talked about okay. If you want to talk about like a villain performance that's really good, talk yeah. about Tilda Swinton. In I this. mean, yeah, she's fantastic. I mean, Ed Harris too, but like Tilda Doll, you're amazing. I um, mean, at also just playing this despicable, <laughs> despicable Brit. Yeah. Also, big props to the costume design department for this character because I I feel like the the look that they go for just like truly highlights all the most like striking and bizarre parts of Tilda Swinton's anatomy <laughs> to make her into just yeah. something like so strange and I love it. Right. 
Uh, I mean, but I mean, really, I think it's her her voice and her delivery, which yeah. is funny. I mean, it when is. she's talking in such dramatic tones about you wouldn't wear a shoe on your head, <laughs> you know, like everything right. in its place. Yeah. It's it's really funny. It um, is, despite the you know dark themes and you know really serious moments in this. Well, I think you need that, you know, like you can't get through a movie like Snowpiercer without there being a few moments of levity. And and I think, you know, part of the reason that her character is so humorous is because of the like absurd contrast that she's supposed to be like showing, you know, or she's this right. well-dressed, supposedly like well-mannered, proper woman Um who, you know, is just, like, yelling at people who are, like, surviving off of bugs about right. how society must function like they give a shit, you know? It, like, it, it's that, right. um, that, that, uh, incongruity that is sort of the whole point of the character, I think. Right. I think it's so interesting, the, the discourse in the movie surrounding sustainability mm. and how sustainability can serve to just reinforce existing uh, hierarchies and, and hegemony. Yeah. Like, when they talk about the fish and the fact that they only conserve the fish once a year and only this many because it has to be a, an enclosed system that that produces just enough fish to be self-sustaining Yeah. Uh, and it takes this long to repopulate... And it's just like, okay, yeah, that's all great, but who gets the fish? Right. <laughs> it's always the same people. They don't rotate. Who has the so fish? So scarcity becomes a, you know, an enforced thing, uh, you know, even though it is sustainable as opposed to what we currently have in, in capitalism, their sustainable version of capitalism is actually not quite so sustainable that it supports the population growth, and that's why they need to cull all these people every few years by inciting revolt. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like you said it all right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, um, I do want to touch on like a couple of like key symbols and images that I thought were really interesting. Yeah, sure. Like, what did you think about like fire as a symbol in this? Uh, the matches and the torches that run in when the, the lights go out because they're going through a tunnel. And, uh, you know, the explosives. Like, what is fire in this universe? Um, God. I don't know. Do you have, a, do you have like, a, a theory on that already? I don't know. I, I, I think there's a lot of possibilities. I think it could be... You know, something to do with unity of, of human spirit, like, you know, it typically the fire is lit, you know, the fire's a revolution, mm -hmm. you know, kind of, that it's a, it's a, it's a group process fire. Yeah, that's somehow. true. Like, the fire always comes from the, the back of the train, um, and, right. you know, it doesn't necessarily, like, we don't see anyone in the, the front cars, like, lighting also, a match. I don't know... I don't know how much Bong Joon-ho likes the Olympics as an institution, <laughs> but the passing of the torch as it's running forward, I mean, it becomes a relay race right. to bring the fire. Um, I mean, there's something to that, right? Like a unity between cultures and yeah. and an end to, to, to infighting or something? I don't know. Um, 
I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's necessarily supposed to invoke the the Olympic torch. I think it's more just... Right, but they're literally passing it yeah. to each other. <laughs> it, there's just no way to get around that and it particular <laughs> visual cue. But maybe, you know, maybe it's worth, like, drawing comparisons between Snowpiercer and another one of these to, to sort of show to what extent it is inherent to the genre like yeah um maybe we should talk more about the doctor who one yeah i think the, we definitely should um so like this the story here is like rather than an ecological disaster caused by humans it's just like the earth is being bombarded by solar flares yeah. which makes the people leave so that's a slight difference is that it sort of it takes the blame away from the the humans in that respect yeah um but the they definitely when they form Starship UK and basically strap the entirety of Great Britain to <laughs> a spaceship and launch it into space, mm -hmm. they do purposefully create an incredibly fascistic society. Yeah. Um, under the guise of democracy. It, this one is interesting because it it seems to imply that it wasn't always so fascistic. Like, that... It, it has sort of devolved to this point over time, but it's not really explored at all, so we just have to sort of go off of the assumption that, nah, it was probably just always like this. Um, which well, is I like, got the sense that, like, okay, the reason that it's fascistic is that there's this deep secret of of, of labor going yeah. on, that there's, a, that there's a torture of an innocent at the heart of this self-propelling self-moving system right uh that requires I, no engine <laughs> my like hot take for this episode is i feel like um moffat just read ursula Le Guin's uh the ones who walked away from omelas and was like what if we did this but with a space whale <laughs> well no, that's a good point do you want to talk about any of like the literary sources of this you know ursula Le Guin and, and yeah yeah, yeah. um so there's a, a short story it's literally like four pages long um by fantasy author ursula k Le Guin that um you know it's sort of in in the the theme of like hannah arendt talks about the banality of evil and the banality of pain um and how um torture and suffering um are just like these things that we sort of assume need to exist um and and the mm -hmm. idea is that these people live in this town called omelas um and it's perfect and no one is ever sick and everything is beautiful and wonderful and there's music and art and it's it's a utopia um but this utopia is founded on the fact that there is a child who lives in a closet um, and is basically like beaten and abused and mistreated and lives its whole life in the dark. And um, I think on like everyone's like 10th birthday or something, they're shown the child and they are basically like, this is what your happiness is founded on is this child. Mm -hmm. um, and so people, you know, just sort of have to like live with that and deal with that. Um but then there are people who end up leaving the city because they decide that no matter how much joy they could possibly have in their lives, it is not worth the suffering of even, um, like, one small, miserable child. Um, child. Right. 
children, I think, are an important part of all of these. Yeah, right? for the, sure. It's it's a what about the children kind of moral panic. <laughs> a little bit, on. yeah. Um, but <laughs> but the reason that I always think about the ones who walked away from Omelas um, is because it, it's sort of the same thing that happens in um, The Beast Below, where everyone is shown what is actually happening on the ship, um, and right. they have an opportunity to acknowledge it, but then uh, most people choose to just forget it. Um, right. And, and I think, you it's know, a little bit forgetting rigged. it is also about sort of the, the cyclical nature of politics yeah, and then democracy and where it fails when the population is too disgusted by politics to pay attention to it, to look at it, mm-hmm. which is definitely something that we're experiencing right now is a kind of rejection of the discourse surrounding politics because it's so terrible and horrible to look at and think about and yeah. to acknowledge your complicity in. Yeah, I mean, like, that's been the struggle of America, I think, from the beginning. Um, you know, it's it's founded on all these sort of high-minded ideals that I think in actuality it's never really been able to live up to any of them. Um, and the UK is not founded on any of those ideals, but is founded on silence and not acknowledging the problems. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> at it's least founded that's my on, understanding. It's founded on monarchy. Maybe that's why all of these are so British. yeah. That's true. There is quite a quite a few British uh, um, versions of this. Well, it's literally the UK strapped to a spaceship. It's literally yeah. London on wheels. Yeah. There's there's something too that that the UK sees itself as somehow more mobile, maybe because of their history. Of I the think Navy, empire, you yeah, know, is so great or or something. But like they see themselves as not limited by the geographic restrictions of their country and where <laughs> right. all of us are saying, stay where you are, stop colonizing other people. And they're like, but well, the resources guys, we need them. Right. Um, we're just a little island. We, we can go wherever we want. Please. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I, I acknowledge that at least, um, the, the situation in the beast below is slightly different from the ones who walked away from Omelas and that, you know, those people are allowed to just leave and there's no consequences in a right. starship on the starship UK. If you do that, if you hit protest instead of forget, it feeds um, you to the whale. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, you become food. Um, which right. is well, and then there's also fascistic. the smilers, which are kind of the same thing as the as uh, sh- whatever strike is the resurrected human beings from uh, from mortal engines. Yeah, wait, how are they these, the same? These robotic, fascistic, uh, you know, lawmakers, I guess, or like cowboys. I don't okay. know what they are. I mean, I don't. I, I think they're more like secret police type things, you know. Like right, they okay. they are the the nanny state. They are the or maybe not the nanny state, but the surveillance state. Um, they're big brother. Yeah, they're they're exactly big brother. Um, you know, which is is the difference between um, like the utopia in Omelas and the almost dystopia of Starship UK, um, but. The, the fascinating thing is, so, so do, let, I mean, let's spoil it. Let's, let's talk about what the climax right. of The Beast Below is. Um, right. It's saying that you don't really need to make these 
decisions of the lesser of two evils, the, you know, the sacrificing the one for the many, because compassion can replace that. Right. That the, that the eternal engine can run on love instead of pain. <laughs> yes. Yes. Which is the opposite sort of conclusion of Snowpiercer, which is that there is no alternative to uh, to this engine. Right. That it, it can't run on a compassion. It has to be destroyed, and you need to start over from scratch, basically. There's no ethical consumption under capitalism. <laughs> right, okay, to put it simply, yeah. Um, do you want to talk about, like, some of the weird outliers on this list? Some things that maybe don't work, or that... that do work but in weird ways yeah i mean i think it's it's especially interesting in movies because i think you know this idea of a um mobile like large mobile society is something that has always had an easier time existing um either in art or writing um or even animation rather than um being depicted uh like in, in film or television, and it's sort of a matter of technology that has led to, I would say, the increase in stories like this. Um, Definitely. To be able to, like, As well as our, our further grappling with the ecological disaster that's coming for us. Right, yeah. <laughs> Making sort of these disaster narratives um, more common. And um, so, so, yeah, why don't we talk about WALL-E next, if we're, if we're talking ecological disasters. Okay, yeah, WALL-E, like, um, like Snowpiercer, as we pass by all of the trash, you know, of the earth, mm -hmm. we see the wastefulness of capitalism, the, you know, the self-consumptive aspect. And also, like uh, WALL-E, there's, they're, they're <laughs> correct. WALL-E. What do you call it? WALL-E? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, just the way you said it was great. Sorry, continue. Okay, so I mean, Wally and Snowpiercer, both of them, the initial getting on the vehicle is a necessity for survival, but it's a matter of how how long they're expected to stay on there, um, and that it becomes a function of the self the self perpetuating motion of it. So, like in right. Wally, the uh, the robot is keeping them there because the command said, uh, uh, "All right, Hal, keep them on there forever. We're never going back to Earth. It'll never be." clean enough to live on again but mm. they're wrong it turns out you can go back and that it does become livable again but only after hundreds of years right and the same thing for snowpiercer right it takes 17 18 years for the snow to start melting right um there's a historical i guess it, it's sort of like the material conditions <laughs> kind of thing like the yeah. things required for revolution need to come into being you can't just force it because we know inevitably you do have to return to Earth. It doesn't matter. It, it's about whether the, the conditions are right for it, whether the snow is about to melt, as it were. Right. And, and you know, it's also sort of the um, the idea that capitalism is a transitionary stage and shouldn't be sort of our end-all, be-all economic system. Right. It's a, it's a journey to a destination. Yeah. But you know, like we 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 started with feudalism, and then we ended up with right. monarchy, and then privileged monarchy, and you know, like the arc right. of I guess history. I guess that's really it's as simple as that to yeah. describe all of these. Is that we sort of we invented a system by which we can walk, <laughs> yeah, and then a system by which we could run, and then we invented cars so we could get there faster. And then we all had to board onto a spaceship and fly somewhere. <laughs> Duh. And eventually, 
we're gonna get there, but we just keep coming up with more and more like tragically cruel ways to do it. <laughs> right. Um, but eventually we're gonna get there. We'll get there. You gotta believe. Um, right. Yeah, and and I mean, except for if you're a train going in circles, and you need to get off. <laughs> right. I like like I would say this is a pretty common trope, um, especially in like sci-fi stories um if we're gonna can like just talk about like giant spaceships basically being cities um like floating cities i think it's also a pretty common um trope in uh like fantasy seafaring stories you know where there's a ship large enough to to be an entire island um or you know like even mobile islands Um, Like this idea that something that should be fixed and, um, and, and yeah, should just be fixed is suddenly mobile and how sort of Right, but there's a difference to being on like a big lion turtle city in, in Avatar, which is mobile, but not in any way that matters. Yeah. Or like a floating city in the sky, like in Laputa Castle in the Sky, the Ghibli film, mm-hmm. where it's a city in the sky, but only to dis- distinguish it from all the cities on the ground. Right. Like, they're not mobile in any kind of directive destination kind of way. Right, right. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, that's similar of um, of uh, One Piece the the sky islands um right and in that anime there's um a few societies that you basically that are just in the clouds and the clouds move but they're pretty much subject to the whims of the weather you know they don't have any real control over where they're going um or where they are well, I mean, it's not that the, there's inherent control in these other stories either. I mean, for example, in, you know, The Beast Below, Doctor Who, like, the queen is not actually in charge. She keeps having her memory wiped. <laughs> right. So it's literally just a self-perpetuating system where she keeps discovering the secret behind Starship UK and yeah. then keeps hitting the button to forget it. Um, and then same thing, you know, in WALL-E, like... It's not that the captain is, like, in charge. It's just the way that the ship is programmed is to go that way. Right. And in Snowpiercer, it's not that, like, there's anyone <laughs> in charge. It's just that this is the way that the train was designed to operate. Right. You know, Ed Harris wants out of there. He wants to go to the back of the train with the cool <laughs> people. Um, yeah. It's, it's definitely... That's true. I think maybe um, Mortal Engines is really the only one where they're, like, driving the cities around, literally. Right. And I think Um, it becomes more, like, naval in that sense. Like, doesn't, like, the King of London or whatever, like, he, like, wears, like, a naval uniform. Yeah, it's very military. Like a ship's captain. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's that's definitely the, the thing in Battlestar Galactica as well. Um, you know, it's, it's, a well, they have elections and presidents. They're way more democratic. It's, it's, it's the one on this list that I think is really like, it tries to be non-fascist for at least a bit. But it, it constantly has that, um, struggle with, between democracy and fascism and, um, power and control and decision-making, um, right. when in a wartime sort of situation, um, and does that... Right. I mean, the big joke being, obviously, that, like, their first president was, what, the, uh, the agricultural secretary or something? Or education. Education, that's right. So, yeah. like, it's, it's as if Betsy DeVos 
became president. Yeah, basically. Everybody got killed. Um, but, you know, if Betsy DeVos was kind of competent, <laughs> at least in the Battlestar universe. Do you want to talk about just, like, fast-moving cars? Yeah. And just the, the, the things that what go fast? And they're not really societies, but there is something to, like, they're moving and they're carrying lots of people. Yeah, or, or you know, societies that are built around this idea of, like... Mobility. Vehicle, yeah, vehicle engines. mobility. Like, like I mentioned Mad Max earlier, um, and I think that's, right. like, a big one, um, especially I the, mean, Fury the Fury Road. especially, Road. but, I mean, kind of Road Warrior. I mean, yeah. they sort of travel in sort of a nomadic pack yeah. through the desert, which is kind of what I imagined Mortal Engines would be more like, except for bigger and, like, yeah. cities instead of cars. But it's not. They're not, like, traveling through a wasteland. They just are, for some reason, eating other cities and doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the sort of thing where if Mortal Engines was going to work, it needed to be a lot more political and more of, like, I think a, a political drama between these cities. But instead, it's just me big, me eat, me make laser. Hooray. <laughs> you know? Right. This is just the way that it's always been done. And then Mad Max is, like, actually talking about the origins of apocalyptic societies and how they're forming and how you go to Thunderdome or whatever. Right. Uh, no one cares about that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but, you know, like, Fury Road, while it is just, like, an awesome, action-packed, like, rule-of-cool, uh, you know, spectacle, it, it also sort of um, looks at the realities of... Um, of, of the conditions that its people are living under and sort of their, it, it, you know, it's deeply political about why these people are doing what they're doing, you know, like freeing the women and, right. and why that is an issue of import beyond just like hooray freedom, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, you also have speed on this list, which I'm excited about. I'm yeah. Yeah. Just excited to hear what you have to say about speed okay with keanu reeves and sandra bullock right? so like i think speed for me has like the most in common with like snow piercer if i had to pick one um okay. like maybe battlestar maybe yeah me I, I don't know about mad max i mean so like obviously mad max and that it's a car um and it's right. human sized generally um but it's this idea that, you know, they can't stop the bus because a crazy man has put a bomb on it. Um, yeah. And, so you know, it's, a, it's another thing of if you stop the system as it's meant to progress, you're killing everyone. Right. You're sacrificing everyone for your own moral code or compass or whatever. Right. Know, and so, you know, this one is, is more of a hostage situation of that. Um uh, whereas Snowpiercer is just very much like, yeah, no, fuck it, we'll just blow everything up and try again. Um, you know, if if we if Snowpiercer were to be written the way Speed was, uh, we'd need a Keanu Reeves character to find a way to slow the engine and get the people off first, and you know, right. do do all that crazy shit. Right. I mean, yeah. So like, Speed is like we have to get them off of this train. We have to get them off of this bus. Yeah. But you know, we have to do it in a in a moral way. There's no room for sacrifice in mm -hmm. this one. Yeah. There's only room for saving every life, right? Yeah. Or well, there are a couple. Mm -hmm. So there's the one lady who dies when she tries to get off on her own, um, and mm, right. they are allowed to. Um, 
you know, remove the bus driver who gets injured sort of accidentally. Um, gotcha. Uh, but, like, like, those feel like weird sort of outliers, you know? It, it's the idea that, like, okay, we'll let the injured people off, but the rest of you have to stay on, you know, like, like that right. kind of um, dynamic. Uh, but it, it's just interesting to me because it's, it's another story that is, is, again, it's just like, you can't get off the bus. The bus is, right. has got to remain That's in constant motion. similar to the uh, uh, Train to Busan, um, you know, which is uh, a, a movie about zombies attacking, you know, uh, Korea and they're every, you know, the, the like only surviving characters that we see are all on this train mm-hmm. trying to get from point A to point B, Very trying to get everybody say. off, but you can't stop or else all the zombies get on right. and you keep having to kick people off to save yourself. And it's all about, you know, sacrificing yourself for others versus, uh, you know, allowing, allowing yourself to, uh, to survive by pushing other people in the way of the zombies. <laughs> Right. Um, yeah, like, like I think there's there's definitely something compelling um, about a narrative being both contained in that here is this car, here is this train, and all of the plot is going to take place on it um, versus right. the inherent emotion of that train or car or whatever and the fact that its motion is kind of in essence driving the plot a little bit. Um, and I, I think right. that's definitely something that, you know, is very inherent to, to um, Snowpiercer, but also to, to speed, to Mad Max, to even Battlestar Galactica at times when they are, you know, essentially trapped in this spaceship. And sometimes the spaceship is failing and, you know, they have to figure out a way how to fix the spaceship or else, because that's life, you know, there, there is no other option. Um, there is no other way around it. And I, I think speed is just interesting because it um, says, but what if there is a way around that? What if there is a renegade cop, I guess, who can come in and, and fix everything? If, if anyone's seen Speed 2 and wants to tell us <laughs> if the boats function in the same way also if you could explain to me so i don't have to watch this movie why is there any question of how to get off of a boat you just jump in the water right i mean maybe it goes too fast and then someone comes pick you up maybe there's sharks like i don't know i i feel like there's a way out of this (laughs) it's not like jumping out of a moving uh car moving bus it's a boat yeah yeah, I don't know. I did not watch Speed 2 to prepare for this. Uh. <laughs> right. Anyway, um, Infinity Train, I think, you know, definitely has a lot in common with Snowpiercer. It's about getting to the front of the train, confronting the, the the you know, Sinister the driving head. the train, especially in, in Season 2 yeah. of Infinity Train. It's about what what is this system running on? But because it's like a kid's show, it's not really a system of capitalism. It's more of a system of of dreams and character growth and it's more of a narrative train. Did you watch infinity train? I did. I did. Um, I was so long ago though. Can you remind me? (laughs) 
Right. So Infinity Train is the story of this girl who's trying to go to coding camp. And she gets on a train, and it's just like each car is like a different world. And they're like puzzles that you have to solve. So it's like a video game. And so she's kind of like doing something that she's naturally good at and that she likes doing. But the the construction of the train also keeps placing her in situations that make her confront her emotional issues with her parents' divorce. Yeah. And it's not until she overcomes that that this, like, number on her palm goes down to zero and lets her off the train. Um, so th- that's the season one, and it's kind of constructing the train as this narrative device to get from point A to point B. It's like all adventure stories. It's like Wizard of Oz. It's you. The, the only way that you can learn to go home is to recognize the power you had within yourself the whole time kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely that. Um, you know, it's, it's... But season two flips that on its head because it says, okay, season two, we're going to follow the story of a mirror construction of the main character from the first season who still exists after she leaves the train. But this copy of her is stuck on the train and doesn't have any free will of its own because it's just a construction designed to help the main character achieve some kind of catharsis. So it's saying, like, it's about the, like, fascist nature of stories themselves, that characters are brought in purely to advance the narrative and to Mm. advance the character development so that the hero can reach their end. But the story doesn't care about the other characters reaching their ends. Right. Yeah. Um... But, like, I don't know if that fits into the paradigm that we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but it is about confronting, like, the, the, the authority of the train. Right. It's the authority of the train, and I think, you know, it's it's a never-ending, infinitely long, always-in-motion vehicle. You know, like, it, right. it, it takes those Right, and it's a linear boxes. story, yes. which is interesting. Because I was really worried about Infinity Train as, like, a series, because I was thinking, like... How is it going to be so linear? You're not going to be able to return to any places that you've been. And I feel the same way about the Snowpiercer show that's coming out right now. Like, the linearity of a train narrative works for a movie because you can go from the back of the train to the front of the train. Right. And that's it. But there's no, like, you know, in a story of television, modern television, serial television, we expect the plot to branch out in, in many ways, right? Like Right, and to come back around does. again. That's what that's what you know, even like Breaking Bad, which really only has like one main character, you're returning to different locations that you've been to before. You're not just constantly moving forward. Right. Um Yeah, and and I think, you know, that's a a big part of um just like storytelling in general is the need to return. Like that's why Campbell talks about stories, uh, you know, so if if the Snowpiercer train were a circle, then maybe the TV show could work. Right. Then it would be a story circle. (laughs) Uh, But like, I don't know. Or like monopoly, you know, you pass go and you collect $200 and try again. But like, No, if it's a linear train, you just go there, and then that's the end of the show. (laughs) Right. It's nothing else. Yeah. But I mean, like, there are definitely adventure narratives that are all journeys forward um, that I think work. Kind of, but you still expect a kind of splintering of narrative, you know, subplots evolve. Different things are going on in different places. You you cut between two locations, but Snowpiercer never did that. Right. There's always 
just linear get to the front of the train. That's true. That's true. Um, so I don't know how they're going to sustain, you know, how are they going to keep this perpetual motion machine of television going? Television well, is also a kind of yeah. perpetual motion machine that if it stops, everyone dies. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's partly what we're seeing now with the, the shutdown of all of the theater arts and, and things like that that's currently right. happening where everyone's like, oh, shit. <laughs> There's yeah. like there's no gigs. What do we do? Um, right, and then also all the stories just stop existing yeah. for the most part, except for a few are like doing, like just showing people storyboards and being like, "This is the show now." <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how that's working, but uh, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's like truly a strange new world for entertainment right now. Um, entertainment production um it's a strange new world Uh, for a lot of things (laughs) it's a whole new world we live in (laughs) it's do you think it's time i I think that's everything that i have to say about this for now but i really hope that maybe we can expand on this in the future maybe yeah snowpiercer comes out if it's good and we watch it or i mean i'd bad i'd love to personally dig into just like train narratives in general um, you know, like there's train right. murder mysteries, there's uh, right. like train adventure stories, there's horror stories on train. Like trains are just right. like let such a rich Let us know if you'd setting. rather we do that. <laughs> let, let, you guys, let us know if, if you'd rather we do that or do more like Battlestar Galactica, the space exodus yeah. kind of thing. They're or, two very different narratives, but I think they both fall into this category of perpetual motion danger you know if you leave the vehicle you die yeah um and and the idea of the systems themselves becoming more strict and 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 fascistic as you're continuing that perpetual motion totally um yeah i'd be happy Um, to talk about either of those things let us know what you guys think uh you can comment on this link wherever you found it or you can tweet at us at talking tropes Um, We'd love to hear from you, and we hope you guys are staying safe and staying happy. Okay, we love you. Bye-bye. Bye.